Hello, wide world out there. Hi. I'm Casey. Just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to see if you were gonna. You would say you were Jen, but then I decided you would just get confused. <laughs> it was a mistake. I'm Jen. <laughs> now I am confused. I'm Casey. I'm 90% sure. <laughs> Welcome back to chat. Oh, gee. Episode number three. Coming to you with all of... The worldly questions that burden Yahoo Answers. And we're just gonna kick it off here with a question that requires a bit of setup. So it's gonna take me a minute to explain the situation to you, Casey. Mm -hmm. Alright, so hunker down and buckle up. Okay. Alright, this is under the category of family and relationships, and the title is Trouble with My Coworker. Alright, here's this person's situation. They say... I work at a makeup counter in Dillard's, and I love my job, but there's one coworker who makes me not want to come in and work some days. I've been working at the counter for around seven months, and she just started a month ago. The other day, I was with a customer, and I was doing their makeup. I spent a lot of time doing it, and the new girl, I'll just call her Sarah, came over and said, you know what would look really pretty on her? And took my brush and started applying way too much makeup and messed up everything I just did. I could tell the lady was upset, and I was also mad because I spent a lot of time on the makeover. There was also another incident today. I was with a customer, and Sarah told me, OMG, look, it's that guy who likes me, come look at him, and was pulling me away while I was helping someone. I kept telling her to hold on, but she wouldn't stop pulling me away to look at some guy. Another thing that I think was very inappropriate is that Sarah will tell me about how she thinks I need to be more religious. I used to be Muslim, but I don't really affiliate with a religion now. Sarah found this out, she's Muslim, and started saying to me, it's such a great religion, when you go home, I want you to read the Quran and try praying, I can't believe you left Islam, how do you live your life without religion, aren't you ashamed? And she kept going on about it. I explained all of these things to the manager, and she hasn't done anything. What do you think I should do? That's a really hard question, because my first response would be talk to a manager about it, but if you've already talked to a manager... yeah. I don't really know. That's really hard. Maybe try talking to Sarah herself about it. It's not really clear to me if you've done that. Maybe if you're a really polite person and you kind of don't show when you're angry or annoyed a lot, maybe she doesn't even realize that what she's doing is bothering you. Maybe she's kind of oblivious. So maybe try talking to her. Maybe just say, hey, that was kind of not cool that you've like, jumped in on my work that I was doing, or say, like, I don't think it's an, I don't think it's an appropriate place to talk about religion at the workplace. See what she says. And if she doesn't respond to that, maybe go above the manager's head. Maybe go, go to Mr. Dillard himself and say, (laughs) this, this girl's gotta go. Um, yeah, I think that's all great advice. I think it sounds like this person who's asking the question, might be like more of a like subdued, p- potentially like, introverted type person, and the Sarah person definitely seems like she's really you know willing to put herself out there, you know a bit yes. too far. Strong and, personality. Yeah, and that can make it really hard um, when there's someone that has such a strong personality and there's they just are kind of overwhelming you in every situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are a lot of, like, 
relatively non non confront non confrontational. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a word. That's the word. I wanted to you say con- confrontational. Not confrontational. Like, it's not a word, but it sounds like it should be. Uh, no, it doesn't. There are some non confrontational ways to set boundaries, um, and I'm a pretty shy person, and there's definitely been situations where I feel like people have kind of been like stepping over me like this. Yeah, taking advantage uh, of your niceness. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't speak up for yourself, like no one else is going to speak up on your behalf. Right. So ultimately, it definitely sounds like your manager is not going to do anything to help you. So I think if you're a non-confrontational person, there are a couple ways that you could go about doing this. Just say, hey, I don't really like talking about religion. It's not something I'm comfortable with. Like, put... put Put the the burden of blame on you. Right. Put like, like the onus. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like like it's it's not you. It's me. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, I know that religion is something that's really important to you, but I don't really like talking about it at work. Right. Or like I know I think it's really cool that you like want to tell me about these guys that you're dating, mm-hmm. but when I'm doing makeup, I really have to focus. Right. Make that's a really. Good piece of advice that I will probably use myself. <laughs> yeah, don't say, hey, what you're doing is really inappropriate. Say, what you're doing, like, I can't handle. <laughs> right. Like, it doesn't match up with my working style. Yeah, exactly. It's not that there's anything wrong with you, even though it kind of does sound like there's something wrong with me. Um, also, yeah, it does kind of sound like sh- this asker is kind of a pushover, kind of maybe too nice for her own good. Because the part where she's saying that this woman, Sarah, was pulling her away and she was telling her to hold on, but she was pulling her away. Was she physically pulling you? Because, first of all, that's inappropriate to physically drag someone somewhere in the workplace. But if she was just, like, if by pulling you, you mean that she was being really, really insistent, you just kind of have to match her intensity and be really insistent that you're not going to go. Say, like, no, I can't do that right now. And, like, it will feel rude, probably, because it sounds like you're uh, more of a gentle person than she is. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have to fill different roles depending on who's around you. You can't always be really rigid in your role of being a nice and shy person. Yeah. Sometimes you have to put on different hats to accomplish what you need to. Yeah. And that's really hard, but if you can, like, start doing it bit by bit, like... Like, for instance, when she came over and was like, you know, it would look really pretty on her and just starts physically applying the makeup. Like, that's a hard thing to intervene. Like, yeah. But if you start setting boundaries like, oh, I don't really feel like talking about religion or um, like that's some- not something I really want to talk about at work, even though I know it's something that's important to you or, oh, um, you know, I really need to focus. Then that kind of sets a precedent. So then hopefully in the future, she won't do things that are like so pushy that you there's physically nothing you can do to prevent them from happening. If she has any sort of social understanding, she'll get the message, I think. Maybe yeah. it'll take one or two times. But yeah, yeah, it's really hard in a customer service role to be at all confrontational with your coworkers because you know customers don't want to see that. Customers want to think that you are getting along well with your coworkers and that the makeup look that one person chooses is good across the board and no one would change it they don't want you to fight over what looks good yeah 
So it is really hard. It's really hard for numerous reasons. Yeah. And you don't want it to come across as you looking unprofessional, like in, in the way that you yeah. d- deal with this. Right. Yeah. So it's it, hard it, to go to a manager with that, especially if you've already gone to them. You don't want to seem like the person who's always complaining. Yeah. So I would say just try to stick up for yourself, like bit by bit. Um, and make it seem like it's about you, not her. Mm-hmm. So then she won't get defensive or right. like get like have negative feelings. She'll just be like, oh, okay, that's just how, uh, what's this person's name? Anonymous. Oh, is that what that face means? Yeah. It's a trench oh. coat, creepy anonymous thing. Oh, I thought it was a guy with a mustache. A big, I, I thought bulbous that, mustache. I thought oh, this, I see it now. I thought this was a nose and, a, and this was a mustache. Kind of a big chin. Yeah. No, no chin. It ends in the mustache. I thought this was a nose. <laughs> this should be our logo. No, we have a Chattahoochee logo. It's fine. Anyway, uh, I hope that this works out for you because it sounds like an unfortunate situation. Yeah. And just do the best that you can. I believe in you. Um, all right. Next question. Here's a really interesting question that we can tease apart. Does having a job in college make you look poor? And this person says, I come from a middle-class family, but my parents made me get a part-time job anyways to save up some cash. It's really embarrassing because none of my friends have jobs and I do. What thoughts do you have about that one, Jen? I would say that this is highly dependent on what college you're going to. So there's definitely some... I can envision some colleges that are primarily comprised of like higher class people who whose children don't need to have uh like any work study to be able to afford to go to college and if you were working then your friends might be like hey why do you need a job like why are you poor um so i i could see a situation in which it does make you look poor to your friends but that doesn't mean that it's not a worthwhile thing to do. Like, first of all, if you legitimately need the money in order to be able to afford to go to school, you need to overcome that those feelings of, like, feeling inferior, feeling like you're looking bad, and um, take those work-study opportunities when you can get them. Uh, second of all, maybe you just want some extra pocket cash. Maybe you, you know, you're able to afford your tuition, but you want to be able to save some money. Um, so don't let those, those fears stop you from having a job. Um, and at the end of the day, if people are mocking you for having a work study job because they're like, oh, you must be poor, then those aren't really the kind of friends that you want to surround yourself with anyway, because even though I can see people saying that, that doesn't mean that that's an appropriate or legitimate thing for them to be saying. And it makes them sound like. They're scummy people. What do you think, Casey? I, yeah, I agree. This question is really loaded and it really implies some value judgments made on the part of the asker. And I'm kind of going to chew you out for this asker because, okay, this asker says that they are from a middle-class family and they're really concerned about not looking poor. What's wrong with being poor? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being poor. Do you think there's something wrong with poor people? I'm mad at you. (laughs) Uh, this person is anonymous, but I wish they weren't because... <laughs> you want to single them out. You want to call them out. I want to call you out, Asker. Being 
financially poor does not mean you are morally poor. There's nothing wrong with being poor. If especially in college. Do you Ever, think do you think yeah. a poor kid in college like didn't work hard enough as a baby? Like what? What what possible thing could be wrong with them? They came from disadvantaged circumstances. And you know what? I never once looked at someone doing work study and thought, oh, that person is poor. Yeah, exactly. I did exactly. I did automatically have the assumption of yes, this person I was privileged enough not to have to do a work study job in college. But I really admired people who did do work study. And I didn't assume that they needed to. I thought, like, this person's circumstances, they're a harder working person yeah, exactly. than I am. They're a hard working person. Yeah, I That's the fully only assumption. Them. We had several friends who worked in dining halls and they were making money. They were they're probably more prepared when they graduate college than any of us two or the asker is because they have been working harder. They've been doing school as well as doing an actual job. Yeah. So I think you need to ask her, you need to look in the mirror (laughs) and ask her yourself, what is wrong with you that makes you think that there's something wrong with looking like you don't have a lot of money. There's literally nothing wrong with not having a lot of money. Yeah. People are poor for different reasons and people have work study jobs for different reasons. Like Jen was saying, they're not necessarily all super poor. They just want more money than they have, and they're working for it. Right. It's a good thing. And I never I never thought anything bad about people doing work-study or about people who are poor. And I know our society tells you kind of the opposite of that, but you need to analyze that for yourself. And I understand that you're in undergrad right now, and I probably didn't understand this. And your, your frontal lobe is not developed. Your frontal lobe is not developed, but try to wrap this around your tiny frontal lobe. You... <laughs> Uh, there's nothing wrong with being poor. Um, have some respect for other people, have some consideration for other people. And I, yeah, I never heard anyone else say anything bad about anyone with a work-study job. No one ever. Like, even people, like, who aren't that nice, I never heard in college say, oh, that person must be poor, they're in the dining hall. Or anything implying anything close to that. So your fear is unfounded and also judgmental. Yeah. And also, like, to anyone else that is out there that might be attending college soon and thinking about doing a work study, I would really encourage you to do it. Because, first of all, having any kind of job, like, any additional job experience that you can get before you actually need, like, a real adult job. Oh, you totally did do work study. Yeah, I did do work study. Yeah, I forgot about Jen's lab job. <laughs> actually, I had a lot of work study. <laughs> So, oh my so, god, she did BSc too. Okay, I'm the only one who did not have a work study job. Um, so, Jen never worked in a dining hall, so I forgot about it. Yes. But she did actually so legit jobs around the college. <laughs> yeah, I worked in I worked in a lab, and I worked as a study group leader, and I worked as a, an orientation mentor, and I worked as a tutor. Yeah. Wait, did I work as a tutor? I don't know. I did something. Yeah, you told you know you led like study groups. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. But yeah, and I fully admire Jen for holding down all those jobs, even though I forgot about them. <laughs> but the point is, all of those various work-study jobs that I did, like, that's how I got my first job out of college. Like, the combination of my grades and having experience working in a lab and teaching in, like, a biology setting made me a more attractive candidate. So any kind of experience that you can get while you're in college, like, as long as it's not, like impinging upon your grades and stuff like you still need to be able to balance everything like Mm -hmm. all of your different commitments but it's great to get that experience 
Gnome is working in IT, and the reason that he's been able to get the IT jobs that he's had is because he did four years of IT work study. Gnome is Jen's fiancé. Yes, he's my fiancé. So, even though this guy seems like, you know, he needs some guidance, to anyone else out there who is concerned about work study, I say go for it. It's a good experience. Did you ever feel judged for having jobs in college? No, I never felt judged for having jobs in college. And we went to a super rich kid school. A yeah. lot of the kids at our school were really they overprivileged. Were, if, if anyone was going to get judged, it would have been us. <laughs> and I don't think I was. So I don't think so either. Uh, so that should give you an answer as well as some stuff to think about. Yeah. You got some soul searching to do, my friends. Some food for thought, buddy. <laughs> Alright, here is a question that I have been pondering for quite some time. Casey, I need you to tell me, and tell me true. If you lose a toe, do the toe numbers change? (laughs) For instance, if you have your big toe cut off... Also, wait, I need to interject. This is under the category of science and mathematics. (laughs) (laughs) If you have your big toe cut off... Big... (laughs) (laughs) Big toe cut off. Is the former second toe still the second toe? Or is it now the first toe, since it's the first on the foot? Or, if you have your second toe cut off, does the toe in the middle of your foot, formerly the third toe, become your second toe? Or does it remain as your third, even though there's nothing between the first and the third? If it depends on which metatarsal the toe is attached to, here we are getting real scientific, <clears throat> then imagine that the metatarsal is removed along with the toe. <laughs> Woof! <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> I guess your your current third toe would become your new second toe. Mathematically. <laughs> and scientifically. <laughs> Gotta do some quick maths here. Gotta do some quick maths here. Carry the one. <laughs> yep, it's your second toe. <laughs> um, unless... Well, here's a question. If you retain the second toe in a jar... <laughs> Whoa. It's kind of what number toe is it then? Yeah, I mean your second toe still still exists in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it didn't poof vanish. Yeah, from... if it doesn't decompose, it's still your second toes, as Mama always said. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a very different take on this actually. Okay, I think that this question is not worth considering because I think that you should just call them your big toe, your pointer toe, your middle toe, your ring toe, and your pinky toe. Do you point with your second toe? I do. At what? At you, (laughs) At you. Oh no, she's doing it. No. (laughs) So really all of this hubbub could just be avoided if you stick with my naming convention. Well, there you have it for you. There's the correct answer to the question. Because then the answer is, if you lost your big toe, you still have your pointer toe, you still have your middle toe, you still have your ring toe, and you still have your pinky toe. Are you going to put your wedding ring on your ring toe? I mean, if I were to get a toe ring, that is the toe I would put it on. Yeah. I think I should get one of those... Have you heard about those dermal implants? Yes! Yeah, should I get... 
dermal ring, a dermal <laughs> ring implant on my ring toe. Ring toe. <laughs> <laughs> Only if Gnome is willing to do a matching one on his ring toe. He's All walking right. away. <laughs> I think that means he's on board. <laughs> when he walks away, that's a yes. <laughs> he didn't say no. <laughs> You know, silence is consent, as they say. Yeah, that's definitely not that, that's true. That's not true. Don't don't take that advice, children. Um. All right. I just saw this question, and I want to know. Uh, I want to know the answer, and let's <laughs> let's answer this together, Casey. Okay. What would happen if someone drank their own blood? And I, what this person specifically means is, if someone was bleeding out and they started to drink the blood that they were losing, what would happen? Well, I think they're... I hope this person isn't currently bleeding out. Um, <laughs> Yahoo Answers is definitely the place to go over calling 911. <laughs> yeah, 911 can take up to 30 minutes in some areas, whereas yeah. we aren't speaking right now. <laughs> so, um, I think if the option is to either let the blood flow onto the ground or drink the blood... I think I would say drink the blood, because at least it's still in your system. However, drinking the blood means that you're, like, not putting pressure on the wound, which is the first thing to do. Also, if you if you consume too much blood, you're going to vomit. That's and true, the- and then you're going to get even more dehydrated. Yeah, you're just going to... Oh, gonna- shoot. Yeah, don't listen to my first answer. No. <laughs> no, I think, I think you had an oversight and judgment there, Casey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, if you're bleeding, please contact emergency services... Uh, that are appropriate for whichever country you reside in. Hopefully and, you have some. Yeah. Not and, Antarctica. Uh, apply vigorous pressure. Yes. Perhaps tie a tourniquet. Uh, do whatever you can to prevent the bleeding. Drinking your own blood is not going to replenish your blood supply. Right, because the blood... Well, I you think would have more iron in your system than if you lost the iron entirely. But the blood, any blood that goes to your stomach is going to be digested slowly, and it's not going to equal more blood in your bloodstream. Right. Yeah, I'd say this is a misguided question, and don't drink your blood. Hopefully this person is still alive to hear our answer. Yes. This, this question what is, a, is several days old, so I hope that they're listening, and I hope that you figured out what to do. Alright, so, next question. This is under the family and relationships category, and the question is, is 19-slash-20-year-olds considered a child? (laughs) And they say, I'm 19 going on 20, my family have their days when they call me a child or an adult. For example, if I have a responsibility to do, they always say, you're an adult, you're grown now, handle things on your own. Then there are some days when I get called a little girl and stay in a child's place. It's kind of unfair. I want to be seen as an adult, but I'm always being acknowledged as a kid. I feel like I don't know which one I am. What do you think, Casey? That's a really interesting question, and I get why you're frustrated with that. Adulthood versus childhood is a really complex concept, and I think that it does depend, unfortunately, on the situation. Um... And they're imposing those roles upon you, and it's kind of it's kind of just convenient for them, it seems like. But also, maybe it makes sense in whatever situation it is. 
Um, if you do have a responsibility, then you're in the role of an adult. But if you're like in a situation where you have a lot more to learn than you have to teach, then you're kind of a child. And I still get that in my own life. I am 25, almost 26. And when I'm around a lot of people, maybe a generation or more older than me, I still get called kid a lot. And I definitely get treated like I have a lot more to learn. And it's true, I do. It's kind of all relative. And then if I have, like, if I'm working in a camp setting and I have a group of, like, 10-year-olds, I'm treated like a definite adult. <laughs> so it really depends on your surroundings and what you have going on. Um, if I'm, like, if I'm with a group of friends my own age, we kind of all act like teenagers. <laughs> like, we're kind of neither children nor adults until something comes up where we have to be responsible or something comes up where we have, like, a trampoline to jump on. And <laughs> it all kind of depends. And it, it might give you some perspective to think about different cultures. In some cultures, we learned in an anthropology class, in some cultures, you're not considered an adult until you have children of your own. Right. So it sounds like you don't have children of your own. So in those cultures, you'd be considered a child until you did have kids. So it's all really a social construct and... You definitely have to think, what are people meaning when they call you a child or an adult? Um, and try to think past your own immediate emotional reaction of, like, not wanting to be an adult or not wanting to be a child. Um, and if it does bother you, definitely talk to people about it. And maybe they won't be receptive and maybe they will, but it's worth a shot. What do you think, Jen? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And I think that something that you need to keep in mind is that even when you're 35, your parents, like, you're always going to be a child to your parents. Right. Um, so don't think that there's going to be, like, a certain age that you reach when, oh, now I'm, like, definitely an adult mm -hmm. and I'm, adult, I'm an adult in everyone's eyes because that's never going to happen. Um, like, you were saying everything is relative. Mm -hmm. So... I think that, like, I see why you're you're feeling frustrated. It feels like it's sort of a double standard. Like, you're being considered an adult when it's convenient for them, and you're being considered a child when it's convenient for them, and that doesn't seem fair. Um, I would say just realize that this is something that is inherent to growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and if there are specific instances that you feel are unfair, then communicate with your family and say, like, if you think that they're treating you in a childish way and you think that you deserve a little bit more respect in that situation, then tell them, say, I'm 20 years old. You know, I'm able to have a mature conversation with you about this. Like, let's discuss this. Right. And on the flip side, if they're telling you to do something, like you're saying, if they're telling you, you have this responsibility to do, you're an adult. If you feel like you're not up to that responsibility, tell them maybe, can I have some help with this? I've never done this by myself before. Um, and also keep in mind from your parents' perspective, they're probably as confused as you are about who you are, about whether you're a child or an adult. Because like Jen was saying, you're always going to be their child, but also they're seeing that you're legally an adult now, and they're probably a little confused. They're like, this is our baby, but also she can vote. <laughs> yeah. And drive a car. Like, oh my, I can't imagine what it's like yeah. when you have a child that is first, like, going to driver's ed. Imagine your, your cat license. driving a car. <laughs> That's probably what it feels like. Whoa. <laughs> and 
for what it's worth, my dad said that he, he feels like he stopped maturing at age 17. Okay, that's not what he said. He said that he has always felt like a 17-year-old since he was 17 or so. Like, he has never felt older than that. Interesting. Yeah. Even when he's had children and had 17-year-old children? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> How old do you feel, Jen? How old do I feel? Some days I feel like... This goes back to, like, the passage of time and stuff, but some days I feel like I'm still in high school. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like high school was yesterday, and I feel like <laughs> I'm a teenager. And then I think, oh, my God, it's been eight years since I graduated high school. What have I been doing the last eight years? And then I kind of have, like, a mini existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess I feel my age, but, like, not really. I, it's very confusing. I understand where this person's coming from. It is confusing. Like, yeah, because ages aren't just ages. Like, people say age is just a number, but I think that's insane. <laughs> They're usually saying that to justify dating someone 30 <laughs> years younger than them. Don't believe it. Don't fall for it. <laughs> age is kind of a really heavy topic because you're whatever age you are, and that signifies how long you've been on the earth. But it also kind of shows you the group of people that you kind of should be comparing yourself with. And I say should, not as really should, but like the the group of people you can reasonably compare yourself with if you're in the business of comparing yourself to other people, <laughs> which we kind of all are, I think. So it shows you, like, your parents are probably looking at other 20-year-olds and they don't see those 20-year-olds as being their own daughter. And they're seeing, oh, they're kind of grown-ups. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really hard because, like, there's these social constructs of, okay, if you're 19 going on 20, this is what your life should look like. Or, okay, you're 25 going on 26, this is what your life should look like. That hits home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you think of those expectations, those cultural expectations, and you compare your life to that, and those don't match up, Mm -hmm. that can create some... Cognitive dissonance. Tell me if I'm not using that term correctly. I think that's right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, what you believe isn't matching up with what you're doing. Yeah. What you believe you should do, like, I believe, I don't know what I believe. I believe, like, a 25-year-old should, I don't know, own a house. I don't really believe that. But if I did, if I believe a 25-year-old should own a house and I'm not actively pursuing owning a house or actively owning a house, then in my brain that kind of freaks me out and... like there's something wrong with that like if you don't match up to what you think you should be then that causes a lot of just discomfort in your own brain yeah so I think the the takeaway to this specific person um just communicate with your family and try to sort of suss this out with them because if you don't say anything they're gonna keep treating you this way and you're gonna keep feeling these feelings that are unpleasant Um, and then I think the broader takeaway for this specific question, but kind of like a recurring theme in our podcast is like, it's natural and inevitable and unavoidable to compare yourself to other people. But when you do that, try to do it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that's a great piece of advice because saying don't compare yourself to other people is a really unattainable goal. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it's impossible because... It's just human nature, I think, and it's interesting, and it's really hard to avoid. But yeah, like Jen said, try to kind of keep things in perspective, and just keep in mind that 
you don't need to be like other people, even if it feels like you should be. And nobody's keeping score. Nobody is, like, maybe people are saying, like, oh, this person isn't like other 20-year-olds. But really, that doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. What matters a lot more than that, what's going to be a lot more fulfilling in your life to you, is following your own goals. Whatever feels right to you. As long as you're not hurting other people or anything. Um, and also... New, new, news reports come in. <laughs> Mass murder spree. <laughs> Killer says, podcast told me to follow my goals. <laughs> no matter what. Even if I'm killing other people. <laughs> so another thing, this is a little bit petty of me. I feel like I'm kind of the bad cop of this podcast. <laughs> it's a little petty of me, but I use this tactic in debate sometimes. So if other people around you, like you're saying your family is um, kind of contradicting what they are saying. So you can kind of use cognitive dissonance to your advantage <laughs> and, and say like if yesterday they called you a child and now they're calling you an adult. Say, like, Mom, you called me a child yesterday, now you're calling me adult. What's the truth? <laughs> Am I going to be going back to being a child tomorrow? Like, what? Are you lying? Were you lying then or are you lying now? Because <laughs> they're not both true. So, yeah, I think this goes back to the communication aspect. Yeah, communicate with your parents but... in a petty manner. <laughs> See where that gets you. Um, let's Places. Do, <laughs> let, we, should, we should do this scientifically. We should have one group that communicates in a non-confrontational way. And one the gen method. And one that communicates in the pettiest way possible. We'll the see, Casey method. We'll see what results. <laughs> Let it, try out both. Let us know what works. Let us know in the comments how it goes for you. Yes, and if you have any questions that you would like to submit, as Casey said, put them in the comments. Or you can also email us at askchattahoochee at gmail.com, which is A-S-K-C-H-A-T-A-H-O-O-C-H-E-E at gmail.com. I don't know if that was followable or not. But I think it was. Pe- people will people figure, figure it out. Our listeners are the smartest listeners in the world. You're all very knowledgeable and worldly, I'm sure. Literate. I hope we reach someone from Chattahoochee. That's my ultimate goal Please. from Chattahoochee <laughs> yeah I just want to Alan talk- Jackson <laughs> let us know when this gets to you <laughs> yes please do send us the rights to the song <laughs> <laughs> por favor please and thank you <laughs> all right uh this is Jen and Casey signing, signing off, off.